0: Oh, God, you have heard our hearts with all the voice that is in us. We sing of our hope. We sing of our trust. We believe. Ours, the cross, the grave, the skies. Hallelujah. Oh, living Christ, through your spirit, engage these last moments we have in worship In your word, we pray in your name. Amen. You'd have to believe that if Jesus were resurrected today, somebody would have tried to capture the moment with their cell phone. Got it. United Airlines. That's all I'm saying. (laughs) Come on, this is the world of a camera is always recording everything. But you know what? If I could go on YouTube today and there would be two resurrection scenes, the one, of course, of the actual resurrection of my Lord Jesus, or the other scene, I would choose the other scene, because probably the first scene would be whited out totally. You couldn't see a thing. And the second scene, to me, the mystery is embedded in it as the one who was dead and is now alive is squatting around a campfire with his closest friends and they're having breakfast down by the lake. And as the orange shadows dance on this resurrected man's face, I can't imagine. I'd replay it and replay it and replay it. I want to relive that moment with you. Because I can assure you, here in John 21, Peter, let's see, Peter and Thomas and Nathaniel and James and John and two other fishing buddies, for the rest of their lives, they never forgot that early morning breakfast by the shores of Galilee. So find John 21. That's our homily passage for this Easter weekend. John 21. Let's pick it up. I'm in the NIV Whatever Bible you have, Pew Bible's in front of you. You can find it there as well. It's page uh, 732 in the Pew Bible. Let's, let's, let's start in verse 9. And when they landed, that would be the disciples, the seven I just mentioned, and they've been out all night. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, verse 12, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread, and he gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This was now, verse 14, the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. You know what? If I had been sitting squatting around that campfire, I believe the cat would have gotten my tongue, too. I mean, what are you going to say? You know that the boys are... are, They're all young. They're, they're, They're... Nobody speaking but look, 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 look. He was dead. He's alive and his hand just brushed my his hand just brushed mine as he handed me the bread. FF F. Bruce in his commentary of this moment. His words on the screen. The disciples, it appears, were conscious of a certain uneasiness. Yeah, cat got my tongue. An uneasiness in the presence of their risen Lord. There was something quite familiar in having him with them by the lakeside, yet there was something quite unfamiliar in the company of one who had returned from the dead. Hey, listen, listen. If, you, if you've had breakfast with a man who was dead and is now resurrected, I'm just thinking, there's probably nothing in life that would make you afraid again. Don't you suppose? I <laughs> mean, come on. I heard Andy Stanley ask that question once, and I thought to myself, you are right on. I mean, look, so North Korea this weekend triggers a nuclear device. Well, the talking head's out there. And plunges the world 100 years exactly after World War I into some sort of global conflagration. But what's there to, what's, what's there to fear? Can't the man beside the breakfast campfire handle it? Isn't he, isn't he the one who was dead but is now alive forevermore? I mean, look. So the doctor walks into your examining room with the x-rays and CT scans as evidence and pronounces, you are not going to make it. But what's there to fear? Can't the man beside the breakfast campfire handle it? Isn't he the one who was dead once but now is alive forever? I mean, come on, I'm just saying, look. All those high-flying dreams that you have, your daydreams and your nightdreams about your career that one day is coming, suddenly, like smoke, dissipate. When the reality of past school, past graduation sinks in, and you're trying to get a job with the grades you got. Hey, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait a minute. What's there to be afraid of? Can't the man who sat by the campfire, couldn't he do something about this? Isn't he the one who was dead once but now is alive forevermore? I'm just saying, ladies and gentlemen, when you've had breakfast with a man who was dead and is now resurrected, you pretty much have nothing to be afraid of ever again. Yeah, but Dwight, let me just tell you something, boy. He has never sat around my campfire. Well, of course, you're right. I've never seen him either. Maybe that's why eight days after his resurrection, Jesus shows up again, unannounced, uninvited, into the upper room an upper room eight days ago that was minus Thomas. I'm talking about the Thomas who's been moping all around the house for eight days now, just pouting to himself. He shows up to them. He doesn't show up to me. I tell you what, I, I refuse to believe him. Unless I touch him, all bets are off. <laughs> I'm not going to believe. Eight days later, Jesus shows up, and he goes straight to Thomas. Yo, Thomas, come here. Come here. Come here, come here. Give me your hand. You're touching my wounds. You feel that? Mm -hmm. Come here. You're touching my, my broken, open chest. And Thomas, his face flushed now, but with awe and adoration, drops to his knees, and he cries out, My Lord and my God. And then Jesus says, hey, Thomas, Thomas. Well, just turn one page back. We'll get his actual words here. One page back. So this is chapter 20 of John, verse 29. Then Jesus told Thomas, see, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Apparently, hey, hey, Apparently, he has sat around our own campfires. We just never saw him there. And what he's whispering today is, believe, believe, just believe. I'm with you. I was there. (laughs) I repeat, when you've had breakfast with a man who's been dead and who is now alive, you pretty much have nothing to be afraid of, don't you? So we have this moment with Thomas, and we have the early morning breakfast. But let's go to the story. There's a story tucked in right between the two. It's a wonderful story. And, and by the way, it's a fishing story, and Thomas is a part of it. So John, in his storytelling way, in, in John 21, this is the this is the epilogue to his gospel, like chapter one is the prologue to it. John begins this way John twenty one, one. After Jesus appeared again to his disciples, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. You can hear the old old John. This is John Boy, but he's an old man now. He's saying, hey, listen, children, shh, I got a story for you. It happened this way. Listen to me. Here comes the story now. Verse 2. Simon Peter, we know him. Thomas, we know him, who's also known as Didymus, or twin. Nathaniel from Cana, we know him in Galilee. The sons of Zebedee, that would be John Boy and his older brother James, yep. And two other unnamed disciples were all together. Verse 3. Hey, guys, Peter announces, I'm going fishing. And they all, with one voice, answer, We're going with you, Pete. And that's exactly what happened. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, ah, that night, they caught nothing. It's a beautiful night. The once full Passover orb is now just a sliver. This This is days later. But it's still picture-perfect because the beams from the moon, silver light just rippling on the lapping lake against the gunnels of their skiff. Beautiful but depressing. I mean, please, no fish all night. Now, remember now, these are fishermen. They've done this for a living. But they turned to, when Jesus called them. They they left their nets, they left the boats behind. They said, "Okay, we're following you." But some of them have families to feed. Some of them, all of them, are dealing with hunger, and there is no money thanks to Judas's pilfering from the collective till. If ever they need a night of successful fishing, it would have to be tonight. But they caught nothing. Desire of Ages describes this moment. I love it. Put it on the screen for you. All night they toiled without success. Through the weary hours they talked to their absent Lord and recalled the wonderful events they had witnessed in His ministry right here, right here beside the sea. They questioned as to their own future. Some of you are worried about your future right now. They questioned as to their own future. They grew sad at the prospect before them. All the while, a lone watcher upon the shore followed them with his eye while he himself was unseen. At length, the morning dawned. I love that. At length, the morning dawned. Beyond every midnight of nothing, there will come the morning of promise. Amen. Reminds me of Bill and Gloria Gaither's splendid Easter gospel song. Then came the morning. You remember that? Morning, night turned into day. The stone was rolled away. Hope rose with the dawn. Then came the morning. Shadows vanished before the sun. Death had lost and life had won. "...for morning had come..." I'm promising you, if you're in a night right now, if you're in a night right now, I'm promising you, the morning is coming. Yeah. All right, verse 4. Early in the morning, here it comes, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. So he calls out to them, "'Yo, friends, haven't you any fish?' No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. They still don't get it. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John Boy, said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he's not going to show up in front of the Lord, in his underwear plunges into the water. Jumps into the water, and the other disciples followed in the boat. Verse eight, towing a net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals. There's that breakfast, and there, the burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Where'd that come from? Verse ten, and Jesus said to them, "Bring some of the fish you've caught." So Simon Peter, back out into the water, climbs back in the boat, drags the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even so, with so many, the net was not torn. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come, 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 let's have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them, did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Thus ends The second greatest fishing story in all the Gospels. Which, by the way, was intentionally reenacted in order for them and us not to forget the punchline in the first greatest fishing story in all the Gospels. Which is why the second fishing story happened in the first place. Which is why the first story's punchline is absolutely essential. Last time we were together, we were in that... Come on, just for, the, for, for, for old times' sake, just back to Luke 5. We were in. This is the, this is the great opening fish story of, of the Gospels. We just read the closing. Luke chapter 5. Luke 5. All right. We'll pick it up in uh, verse 4. So Jesus has the crowd here, and when he'd finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon, Hey, Pete, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, does this sound familiar? Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything happening all over again in that second story. But, Peter goes on, because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they had caught, they had caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, so they signaled their partners in the other boat, come, come, come and help us. And they came and filled both boats so full that both boats are going down now. And Peter, when Simon Peter saw this, verse 8, he fell at Jesus' knees, and he said, "'Go away from me. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man.'" For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then," here comes the punchline now, "'Then Jesus said to Simon, "'Don't be afraid.'" Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed Him. Speaking of fear, there it is again. There it is. Because, as it turns out, fishing and fear... I'm talking about fishing for people, that is. Fishing and fear very often go together. I mean, if I share the good news that Jesus is resurrected and that He's coming back to Earth again soon, what will people say? I mean, what will my friends think? How will my colleagues react? What will my neighbors say? Do you know? Listen, listen. Do you know that the number one reason why people don't fish is because of their fear of what people will think of them? I have a friend in Las Vegas. Good place, by the way, to have friends. His name is Buck Weaver. He's been a businessman been in sales most of his life and has done well. And he's absolutely passionate. I'm telling you, he's absolutely passionate about reaching America for Christ. And he'll call me up every so often, and I know exactly what he's going to say. Come on, Dwight. We got to reach America. We got to reach America. So what are you doing about it? Me? Yeah, what are you doing about it? We'll have the conversation. This year alone, this year alone, since January, four times, I have four voicemails on my cell phone. Four times. Same speech, same passion, same voice, same buck. Buck's not afraid. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Buck isn't. I finally called him back this week. I said, yo, Buck, I've been getting your messages. And it starts it again, all over again. I'm just telling you, Dwight, we got to reach America while it's time. You got a voice? Use it. Jesus' words to Peter on the screen. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Irvin Irvin Raphael McManus, in his amazing book, I wish you had it, Seizing Your Divine Moment, he writes these words. Put them on the screen for you. If the only calling you are ever certain of is the one where Jesus calls us all, he calls us all to follow him, and he would make us become fishers of people... If that's all you have, it is more than enough. He commissions all of us. By the way, not just Buck Weaver. He commissions all of us to go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. All of us have a calling to give, give our lives away for His sake. You can move forward with this mandate on your life. It's all you need. Because what Jesus said to Peter, He says to Mary, don't be afraid, girl. From now on, you will fish for me. McManus is right. It's the one calling you have right now that you can be absolutely certain of. doesn't matter whether you've graduated or not. doesn't matter whether you've ever been to school in your life or not. You have been called, and you are the one, now, that God considers the called one. Don't be afraid, Jesus says. From now on, you will fish for people. And God has given you a huge green light. McManus tells a story in his book, He's, and I know this has happened to you, too. He says, do you remember the time? And I think everybody here will remember the time. Do you remember the time where you're stuck behind someone in traffic, all right? There's one person between you and the red light. You're obviously in a hurry. You have some very important uh, appointment. You got to get somewhere fast. And do you, how you, do you remember how you're acting when you're there? Because there's one person between you and that light. So you're, you're clutching the steering wheel. You're just holding it tight, and you're drumming it. You're drumming it. And your eyes, your eyes are frozen on that red light. You're staring it down. You're just waiting for the moment. Bam! It feels like it takes forever, but every time it changes, your foot goes off the brake and onto... Oh, just before the accelerator, you realize that the person in front of you has no idea she has permission to move now. (laughs) Remember? McManus writing, instead of looking forward, she's fixed on her own image in the rearview mirror, and she's always on a cell phone. Have you seen that? And now McManus writes, he said, I want you to think what you were thinking. Not all those thoughts, but weren't you thinking something like this? Remember what you were thinking. I love this. Remember what you were thinking. Here's what you were thinking. Move, lady. It doesn't get any greener than this. Move. Move. What are you waiting for? This is as green as it gets. This is as go as it gets." And I said, Man, I have part behind that driver. And then he goes on with the next sentence, Oops. I wonder if that's what God is thinking about us. Dwight! You! Girl! Boy! What are you waiting for? That's as green a go as you will ever get in this lifetime. Move it. Move it for me, please. Let's go. What did he say in Espanol? Vamos. Let's go. Listen. What did Jesus say? Don't be afraid. From now on, the light is green and you will fish for people. You got a green light, girl. Boy, you got a green. It's as green as it'll ever get. I love this last word from from Desire of Ages on the second greatest fishing story. Put it on the screen for you. It was to bring this scene That would be Luke 5, the story we just read. It was to bring the Luke 5 scene to their minds and to deepen its impression that Jesus had again performed the miracle. That's the early morning breakfast miracle in John 21. His act was a renewal of the commission to the disciples. Though they were to be deprived of his personal companionship and of the means of support by their former employment, the risen Savior would still have a care for them. Hold on. Listen to this. While they were doing his work, he would provide for their needs. If they labored in connection with Him, His divine power combining with their human effort, they could not fail of success." End quote. Isn't that something? If ever you decide, and I hope you're not putting this off, if ever you decide to go fishing with Him, you will succeed. You won't catch every, you won't catch every fish in the sea. Do you think there's a fisherman alive who says, since I can't catch them all, I'm not going to catch any? That's asinine. You just fish. And the promise is, you will catch many, many. Wow. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And by the way, the light is green. It is as green as it is ever going to get. So, please come fishing with me. And what do we say? That's a pretty weak amen. Come on, what do we say? Amen. Amen.